Listener Production. A great design for a garden directs your eyes and helps showcase its beauty. And there are lots of steps that you can take to take your home garden to the next level. You want to sort of be cosy, but looking at this expanse at the same time. Hi, I'm Charlie Albone, and in partnership with Still on this episode of That's How We Grow, I'm catching up with the highly awarded landscape architect, Miles Baldwin. We've done some great basketball courts over the years. Just say you're casually doing a, a design with travertine marble, you would then do like a really great darker strip of travertine marble for the free throw line. Now, Miles is the founder of the prestigious landscape architecture studio, Miles Baldwin Designs. He and his team of landscape architects have worked on some of the most amazing homes and gardens in recent years. This is a fantastic opportunity to understand some of Miles' design principles. So, Miles, welcome to the show. I know you from creating some of Australia's most beautiful gardens. But how on earth did you get started in landscape design? Jeez, it's a long time ago now. I, I was one of the lucky people to get a apprenticeship at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Back in, what was that, 97, I think I applied with another 250 people. Yeah. And went in there with my dad's tie, you know, really bad <laughs> outfit. Good. And photos of gardens that I'd made at home for my mum and dad and my aunts and uncles and things yeah. like that. And still remembered saying Cyathea Australis every time <laughs> I kind of could drop the one and only botanical name I could think of. <laughs> nice. And um, yeah, so I got a job at the RBG. At the same time, I signed on at, at Ride TAFE for the design class. Okay. Which at the time was the Landscape Associate Diploma. I don't actually run that anymore. It's really sad. It it's, is sad. I did yeah, that one as well. It was a fabulous course. Yeah. So combined with the RBG mm-hmm. and I did all my apprenticeship stuff there. And then, you know, I finished off actually in the design studio at the RBG working with Ian Innes. Right. Who Ian went on became um, director of Historic Houses Trust, actually. Uh-huh. So he was, he was the last government-employed designer at the RBG. I was lucky enough to get a bit of tuition under him. Okay. And... Um, even sort of learning planning arrangements, Jerry Colby Williams and people like that. So yeah, wow. these fabulous time of the being at the RBG with all these really clever people. Yes. Yeah, and then after that, I, I, I basically, I think uh, October 2000, started Miles Baldwin Design on That's the back it. of being just an apprentice at Botanic Gardens and, and, and sort of thinking I'm going to get out of there and get some work, really. It sounds very similar. Like I started my business when I was at TAFE. Yeah. I started because I wanted to work four days a week and ended up working seven days a week. Seven and- days a week, you know, 80 hours. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How would you describe your garden style? Because I know you from your plant combinations. As a plantsman, Myself, the way that you put plants together is, is really delightful. But how do you describe what you do? It's, it's nice of you to say. Um, the, I guess best spoke. Like we are in a very interesting position in the industry where I, I guess, ultimately look at architecture. I sit down and I speak to the client. My background at the Botanic Gardens has taught me an awful lot of plant material. You know, loads and loads of plants. Lots of travel has actually helped me with all of my, my planting combinations. And yep. um, we sit down there and, and work things out with the, the client. We look at the architecture, we look where we are, we, we speak to the architect, and we come up with bespoke gardens. So like our, our style could be, you know, we, we did a, a very, very beautiful horse stable complex down in, in, in Geelong with the most spectacular formal avenue driveway. And then the next week I could be guarding over rock crevices on Sydney Harbour. So you've got to be fairly dynamic. Yeah. So do you have a set process when you meet a client or is everyone different because your clients are so diverse? Yeah, they're pretty pretty out there, some of them. We try to. You try to have a set process. Ultimately, we, we go in there with a, with a concept. Mm-hmm. Usually fairly graphical. So I'm really proud of what 
my office has developed. I wish I actually had the skills to do all this sort of stuff, but I tried to, like, say I pushed them in the right direction. Yeah. And most landscape plans are a bunch of circles on a bit of paper and yeah. everyone kind of nods and smiles and, oh, is that yeah. what that is? And here's a photograph. So we, we typically draw things in perspective. Yeah. So make sure that the architecture is included or the, the vista or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then we turn that into an architectural drawing after that. Right. So then that architectural drawing then needs to tie into whoever we're working with or the site and and make sure this fabulous sort of big thing that I sold at the beginning is actually going to work. Yes. And then you've got to go into boring land like council documentation and something for the engineer and, so, yes. you know, and then, then maybe in three years you'll end up building a garden. <laughs> so there's the boring side of things and then there's the, you know, the, the ultimate pure creativity, which is obviously fabulous. The creative stuff that I do is typically with the pen and paper. And like I was saying at the start, I, I wish I had the, the skills. We've got some wonderful creative people in the office who have, have developed, you know, the, the most beautiful perspectives and things like that with, with you know, SketchUps and AutoCAD mm-hmm. and uh, V-Ray and all, all the, these sort of fabulous programs. But, yeah, I, I tend to be a pen and paper kind of guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I can't work any of the programs at I'd, all. I'd love, I'd love to. Yeah. Would you love to? Because then you'd be stuck doing it. It's, it's like, isn't it's, it better to just work through a concept in Sketch and then, yeah. I, and then have it appear in yeah. computer form? I guess I'd love to be able to give everyone a bit more advice. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. So when you started your business, do you remember the first job you got out of TAFE? It's a bit of a glamour one. I just finished TAFE and I just finished the Royal Botanic Gardens. Caught up on our family holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm only 22 and mum and dad used to love going out to Queensland. So we went up to... Queensland with them and uh, I get a phone call from this guy called Leo Schofield and he's like, oh, I've got a, this wonderful house in Bronte. And I said, where's Bronte? <laughs> <laughs> I got back to Sydney, I came back early from a holiday and I had a meeting with Leo and... At, I was, at Bronte at House, Bronte we should house, say, yeah. Which is like two acres of 1845 beautiful John Verge gentleman's beachside house yep. surrounded by two acres of, of heritage gardens that he had had... Uh, you know, some of the best mines in, in Australia looking at. Mm. Unfortunately, I guess the negative about it is it, it did have multiple mines looking at it. And so it, it, the garden itself wasn't pulled together mm-hmm. as, as, as well as it probably could be. So I went from the Botanic Gardens and to, to writing down my company name at the end of my bed yes, to working at Bronte House. House, in which I, I ran for about 13 years while I established Miles Baldwin Design. Was that daunting? To tell you the truth, it was, it was the Botanic Gardens squashed into two acres. Right. So, you know, when I, was, I said before I was doing sort of planting combinations with Jerry Colby Williams, I, I sat there and he, he showed me how I could put succulents with an English perennial garden with, with a bunch of ferns. You know, these crazy, crazy things. Then I'd be working at the government house perennial borders or then you'd be down at the, the, the Farm Cove garden. And it was the culmination of, of, of four years of training sort of squashed into a residential site. Yeah, right. The thing is that you to do something like that too, you're sort of learning on the job and you're, you're taking what is a public space, something which which usually is a little bit clunky, into mm. something much more refined. A lot of learning on the job. And you worked with Graham Rowe there, didn't you? Graham was the year behind me at at the RVG and I got him to said, mate, I've got this garden yes. and uh, I want to sort of build this business. Yeah. And uh, I got him on board for a few years. It was it was, it was it was good times. So Graham Rowe, for the listeners that, that don't know who he is, he works on Better Homes and Gardens as one of the researchers. So I work quite closely with Graham. He comes up with the stories and we kind of refine stuff to what yeah. you see on TV. Fantastic guy. Yeah. And he's, he's a really good guy, yeah. speaks very highly of the time he spent at, at Bronte House. Do you have any advice for young landscapers 
that want to get into the industry because they don't do that course that we did at TAFE anymore. So how do no, people they do don't. it? don't. It's a bit sad. In fact, actually, the Botanic Gardens too, you know, there was 250-odd people that applied the year I applied and I think they'd be lucky to fill a room with applications yeah. there now, which is, which is all a bit, a bit sad. I think I'd encourage people to do something that I didn't do, which was get a good mentor. My mm-hmm. mentors were you know, short and brief at the Botanic Gardens with, with you know, sort of, sort of small snippets out of everyone. But one thing I didn't actually learn was how to run a landscape design studio. Yes. So loads of expense later and, you know, many, many problems and, and, and you know, you'd always deliver the best work you possibly could. But at the end of the day, that might have cost you personally an awful lot to do it. So I think getting a job with, with a great designer, yes. someone that runs a successful business, that can also open you up to not just the theoretical. I employ lots of landscape architects mm-hmm. and admittedly they come out of university very, very green. Yes. You know, they're, they're great on documentation and things like that, but they, they don't understand the the mechanics of construction or, or pure sort of botany. Yeah. Uh, I think they do botany for about a week or something. Yeah, yeah. I started similar to you. I just started by myself and made a hell of a lot of mistakes on the way and, and kind of learned on the way, built many gardens at a cost to myself, you know, when I was just just starting out. But I think going and working for somebody else is a great thing to do and work for someone who's willing to give you that information. Most people in the industry are. Yeah. No, I think it's it's an industry full of really fabulous people. It's it's all really friendly. and Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, things like the show gardens that that we occasionally do, you know, the Melbourne Flower Show and yes. back in the days of Sydney and Bloom and stuff like that, all, the, all these fabulous people that we used to meet. And Do you enjoy doing garden shows? Yeah, I do. Yeah, some, some people have actually made a business out of it. Yep. Some people have increased their own business out of it. I've, I haven't seen a direct, you know, correlation between that with us. Mm-hmm. I do them because I actually love doing them. I do them because I think the industry needs them. Yes, so I, I spent years sort of going back and forth to Chelsea Flower Show and I was writing my books. Yep. And to launch a book at Chelsea is such a, a cool thing to do. If yeah. you had to do a garden at Chelsea, mate, that yes. was, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably even better. It's but, fun, yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I think the, the world needs that too, you know, especially for students and the, the general kind of Well, they're just inspirational, aren't they? they I are. mean, they someone might go to one of those shows and not, want to take the whole garden, but they might just catch a snippet and then they take that home and they, they do it at home. And yeah, that, that's what's great about them. Yeah, 100%. Incredible. Yeah. How did you find Singapore? Singapore was good fun. I should have learned the rules a little bit harder at the start in that there are no rules. Okay. And that if you do play by the rules, you're not going to win. Right. So I, I think the, the idea that, you know, they, they give you all these kind of things, okay, we need to make sure that your garden is, uh, can be 360 or can we do this, has to do this. You got to make sure you get the best spot. Okay. You also got to worry about what's being set up behind you. Uh-huh. But as a garden show and, and how they manage to, from working remotely, how they manage to pull your design together and then you turn up and there's just, you know, everything there. Like it was pretty amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think uh, if I had the chance again, the rules are out the door. Right. I remember <laughs> that. I, I, I may possibly be doing the next one. But, Don't, uh, yeah. yeah use, as a, use as a rough guide. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is great advice. Um, you've designed for a lot of celebrities. Are there any you can tell us about, or is it all you've all signed <laughs> signed a, a non disclosure? Yeah, I probably can't really go through. We don't really talk about our clients, even yeah. when we do sort of stuff posting on Instagram. Like we uh, tend to write, uh, it was a garden in Sydney, uh-huh. or it was a garden in Melbourne, or it was a garden in Brisbane, yes. or, or something like that. There are certain gardens that that people know that 
we've done. Yep. So, you know, things like Boomerang down Elizabeth Bay uh-huh. and significant homes. But, but yeah, you can't kiss and tell, mate. Oh, okay. So, okay. Hey, I've got to try. It doesn't, really, try. doesn't really work like that. Is there anyone that you would like to design for? I think there's more locations I'd love to do. Okay. We're really lucky at the moment that we're designing something over at, at Queenstown. Right. You know, the idea of kind of designing his site with a bit of a golf course in the foreground and then, you know, another set of hills and snow-capped peaks and, yes. you know, this sort of stuff. So, you know, the the idea of designing um, something in the backdrop like Big Sur on the California coastline yeah. or, or something like that would be, be brilliant or, you know, in Japan. With- How is it different than working with a borrowed landscape as to, say, a, a normal residential block? Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually. You've got to kind of celebrate that landscape, mm. but you can't get too carried away with it. So right. when we're working in big country sites, say the Southern Highlands, or we're working out the Liverpool Plains at the moment, yeah. and if you've ever kind of been up there, you you just, it's flat and you yeah. see for such a, a long space. But a lot of people kind of get carried away with that, and you kind of forget about intimate space and yep. that you want to sort of be, be cosy, but looking at this expanse at the same time. Yeah, so, tricky. Yeah, there's stuff like that when you get a, an amazing site. Sydney-centric, you know, around the, the harbour. Mm-hmm. It's a brutal place to actually design, a brutal place to actually get gardens through council mm-hmm. and with neighbours and things like that. They've all got their designers. They're looking at your plans. Yeah, They're going, look, I want to put these trees here, here and here. And people are saying, you can't because that's going to go through at 100 foot tall. And they're happy to complain. And they're very happy to complain. So you've got to try and find compromises and where you're going to get your garden through. And yeah. Can't use things for solid apical buds, but you can use things that have been clipped off and maybe can all agree on a considered RL. Yes. All that sort of stuff makes it very, very boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it takes the, <laughs> takes the glamour creative out of it. love out of it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, working down south coast is stunning, I must yeah. admit. We're, we're lucky to do some big, big rural properties down the south coast, just sitting on the beach and watching the whales go past. Yeah, yeah. amazing spots. Most blocks have to combine, say, a practical zone of the washing line and area for kids and stuff like that. You're lucky enough to work on larger gardens where that can be tucked away. How, if someone's got a smaller block, how do they still balance the practical side of life and having a beautiful garden? Most of our clients have got kids, so it, you know you, you've got to make this this sort of thing work. If we're talking about the nuts and bolts of things like clotheslines, they're retractable. Yep, they fold into hedges. The old uh, flip down one. Yep. drop that down a hedge, it disappears straight away. Dryer is a fantastic way to collect. <laughs> <laughs> Not very good for the environment though, mate. Come on. No, that's true. <laughs> Solar panels, things like that. So, you know, doing cassettes built into the architecture. Often bad architecture will make your job a lot harder. Yes. So if you're in a position and you're lucky enough to be in a position where you can influence the architecture or you can work with the architects on the initial scope and concept, all those things will be considered. The laundry will be tucked away in the right spot so you can get a reasonable drying yard with yep. the right amount of sunlight. Your kid's trampoline isn't at the back door, but it's built in on a terrace just over there around the corner of mm-hmm. some planting. You know, there'll be a requirement for a certain size lawn so so little Johnny can go out and kick a footy yep. or shoot some hoops. We've done some great basketball courts over the years too where we designed the free throw line into the paving itself rather than having like a black line there. Yeah, right. You know, you might, you know, just say you're casually doing a, a design with travertine marble you would then do like a really great darker strip of travertine marble for the free throw line. Yeah, nice. There's fun things like that you can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, But um, Fancy basketball. Yeah, fancy basketball. <laughs> my kids would be losing it if they heard that. <laughs> Dad, why don't we have that? <laughs> Where's my travertine infused basketball court? <laughs> yeah, like we haven't got one at the moment, like a bronze strip. Yeah. <laughs> free throw line. Nice. So that's kind of cool. But, but yeah, good architecture should 
deliver you the right spaces. So you work a lot with architects. Are you introduced at the very beginning or kind of has the concept been done and then they introduce you? How does that work? We're better off getting in on the ground floor. Right. So we're putting together, you know, the original concept. They're coming to us or the client or someone's put together the team. So there'll be the interiors, the architect and the the exteriors. Yep. And that might work through any of those. It could even work through the builder, how I worked with Miles. It's it's, it's yep. great. But coming in on the ground floor is exactly where you want to be because you can influence all these decisions. Not only that, but you can actually influence what's happening in the ground. There's a great saying that your garden is only as good as your soil. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great one to, to use. So when they're there and they're digging down that little bit extra down to the substrate, you're getting rid of the topsoil and down the substrate, I can't plant a plant in that substrate. Mm. We've got to take that down even further than rebuild soil, rebuild the profile back up. Yeah. And... I can't do that on on retrospective. And the only way to do it cost effectively is with the big machine that's already doing the basement or the you know the, the yes. proper footings and all that sort of stuff. It's really difficult to go back in later on. And you know, I I, I can drive in and plant a tree. You know, I don't want to spend thirty grand on cranes and things like that to then lump it over the house. Like yes. you know, you you got to be ready. What's the best bit of advice you've been given? Then is it the soil? That'd be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Don't pretend to know everything. <laughs> that's sort of like a, that's a great worldly kind of thing to say, isn't it? Not just uh, in the garden, yeah. Not just in the garden, yeah. So like the, you know, the, the idea that, you know, for me working in, in multiple locations, so our, in my southern garden at the moment we're working on is in the Huon Valley. Right. And in my northern garden we're working on is in Port Douglas. Wow. So you, you've got this huge spread, but I'm not going to pretend to turn up to Port Douglas and, and think I know every single fantastic tree there. Yeah, I'm trying to meet people. I'm finding the right people to give me that advice, or I'm, I've got my eyes open. I'm, I'm seeing what's successful and what's not successful. Mm-hmm. I know the shapes of things I want. I know what I want them to do, but then I can kind of work at the horticulture around that. So, Miles, you mentioned soil is is really important when you're building a garden. What are the tips you have for people that are just starting out with their garden design? Yeah, we've got to think where, where the, where's the sun. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that you're not going to get completely shaded, or you're not going to get completely cooked. Trying to create depth. There's there's always a back fence somewhere, so we try to create depth in that. We don't try and reinforce, you know, the, whether the garden's a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. It, it's it's not great to to sort of pocket yourself in that. Yes. And uh, picking the right materials. Uh, you know, hard wearing. Are they going to deal with the Australian sunlight? Are they going to uh, suit the house? You know, we don't go out and hopefully build bad barley anymore, you know, so, <laughs> let's kind of think about where you live, think about your architecture yep. and sort of flow on from that. Yeah. Awesome. I know you, for your, for your plant combinations, when did you start putting stuff together and, and you've, you know, is that what you enjoy most or do you enjoy yeah. the whole thing? The whole thing, you know, I love design. You look at something and you know, how could I make that better? How can I make that more fun? Plant combination wise, I was a little kid in the eighties and I, I was in, you know, out the back with mum doing Rows of petunias, yep. rows of pansies, and then mum would, okay, this is what a camellia is, and we'd, you know, oh, row of that. maybe do a bit of that. And and then I I think I was about 12, and I went, mum, we're not going to do rows anymore. <laughs> we're going to kind of make these arrangements. And then we, we started sort of, you know, and, and your mum just fostered that just, in you just, and just, just said, let me, went, let me do went it, for yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. So, so you've been gardening fun. for a long time then? You know, you don't tell your mates so you get home from school and do a spot of gardening, do you? But, <laughs> no. but essentially that that's the truth. Right. Yeah, I'd be come home to want to prune something and shape it and to create something new or, um, you know, convince going down to Cats or Lovelock's Nursery back in the day. I don't think they exist anymore. 
you know, to, to sort of find what are the, the new plants that are ours and, and what would they be good with? What a weird kid. Well, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems perfect because you're doing exactly what you've always yeah. wanted to do. Is there anything else you'd like to do if you didn't garden? Super yachts. <laughs> I think we'd all like to be on Super Yachts. Design them or just be on them? Oh, I think it'd be fabulous to design those, wouldn't it? it? Yeah. And then you'd be on them. What a great That's true. solution. What's a major obstacle that most Australian homeowners face? Time. Time's, yeah. time's a really big one. Everyone says to me, well, it's big or small. I need it to be, to be hardy. I, I need it to be maintenance-free. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no such thing as maintenance-free yeah. garden. I can help you out with choosing plants that are self-shaping. You know, there are yep. certain plants out there we don't have to force to clip. Or, you know, succulent base, something that would be less on the less on the water. But yeah, time, time's a massive killer. So you've either got the money to kind of throw at maintenance people and more mowing guys and stuff yeah. like that. Or you've got to kind of retire and well, just do it. I know it's it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Robot lawnmowers are bloody good. They're great, aren't they? That. Yeah. They are really good. Yeah. They've either saving my clients heaps of money and or they're giving the guys that don't necessarily have the gardeners. Fab lawns that they don't have to take care of on the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, they are fantastic. I think they're great. Either way, I, I, I can't do a garden for you that's doesn't quite any... It doesn't exist. doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. How do you get that layered effect that you have in all your gardens? You've got from the top canopy all the way down to the bottom. How do you not only get the layered effect, but have the textual interest and keep the eye interested in the garden bed? Probably the way I imagine the gardens to begin with. kind of think a lot of them like big flower arrangements. Mm-hmm. Sounds a weird thing to do, but... Little story back at the Botanic Gardens again too. I was working at the Royal Botanic Gardens at the um, government house. Yep. They've got a full-time florist there. Anyway, one day the florist didn't turn up and they're having a huge vice-regal function with the governor and they ran out there, can anyone do flowers? And I went, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And I did it and they really liked it and actually ended up becoming a florist for the governor and government house for, for 12 months. There you go. Weird thing. So I, I'm I'm very confident being able to put together these combinations as textures and things like that. And I kind of think of a lot of these big gardens, particularly the ones that we do are more garden-esque. So the yeah. ones that are inspired by the mid-1800s where you'd have like a period house and we'll put together the combinations and it's really like a big flower arrangement. So what's going to trickle out from the bottom? What's going to be that, that abrupt emergent that'll kind of come through? What will be our more gentler shapes? What's going to then sort of oppose that abruptness that sort of shoots out from the other side? The trick is then throwing horticulture on top of that. So to make you, sure it works. You think in shapes. Yeah. And you think in, when I'm drawing away, I'll be thinking in, in, in this will be this abruptness and it'll be like a palm shape. And then yeah. this will be this clouding form. And then this will be this ground cover. And then I remember that I'm working in Hobart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I go, okay, well, uh, maybe that ground cover is going to be Pachysandra because I also know that there's a local Paddy melon that's going to try and eat everything else, and they know they don't eat Pachysandra. Yep. And then that middle clouding form is going to be a salvia that'll run into maybe Eupatorium, and our emergent might be, you know, a lilac or something like that. Yeah. So then that fills in the shapes that I've worked out. And you talked about detail as far as travertine and your basketball courts and things that's like that. Fun, yeah. But do you take the detail from your planting into pots as well? Pots are an interesting thing. They're more like furniture. Yep. You know, it's 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 decor that surrounds a lounge or it frames something and, and things like that. So, you know, we, we've got our favourite pots. We've got certain, you know, materials and things that we like to work with. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, I find the the pot thing. The pot thing is also dictated by the materiality around there. You know, yes. you've got stones and bricks and things like that. Is that going to work well with terracottas? Is that going to work well with these sort of things? Um, then you start getting really confused when people throw in GRC. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and and loading limits. God, loading limits. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice if you could work in a concept world where you didn't have to worry about how heavy stuff was. Yeah. Yeah, the old skyhook. Yeah. That'll just get it in there. Not a, not a problem. <laughs> yeah. What's your own garden like? A non-existent right now. You don't have a garden? Yeah, we're, we're renovating. I had a garden. Yep. And it was a very pretty little garden that surrounded our, our place in town. And then I took over the, you know, the strip out front of our house as yep. well, the nature strip. And then I took over the little park across the road. And then I kind of started to take gardening down the street a bit. Yep. <laughs> the right. problems of being in a city living, it's yeah. nice and close to the airport. It's great. I go there a lot, so it's, it's really handy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not enough space for me, personally. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I've got a good deal with the boys at, at City of Sydney Council who, hey, Miles, is going? Good. Yeah, oh, mate, just, you know, doing a bit of pruning, a bit of, yeah, no worries. I'll get some mulch in next week. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, we're, they're pretty good about it. I think more should be done with nature strips. Oh, 100%. I mean, you have to go through council and tell them that you're doing it. Yep. Don't confess if you did or not. I'm uh, just going to say yes. But there's a form you need to <laughs> fill out and let them know you're doing it. And there's certain plants you can't use, obviously. They don't actually want you to grow any food on nature strips. No. And they obviously don't want anything poisonous or too spiky. But it's a great way to add more planting into the streetscape and make it a bit more interesting. 100%. And if you do it properly too, it, it has the ability to then support your architecture and the rest of your house. Yes. So if council are cool with it, like I said, I speak to the city of Sydney all the time when we're out there mm-hmm. gardening away, then ultimately you've got this extended landscape. We call it the borrowed landscape. Yeah. And the borrowed landscape can often be the neighbour's tree or something like that, simple as that. Mm-hmm. And taking that into account when you're actually doing your design. But then to sort of go, look, you know, do I want to be mowing every week? Council probably doesn't have the time to come past and mow in front of your house every week. Yeah. So what if it's a great ground cover? What if that became a collection of succulents? What if that just happened to tie into the exact garden I have inside my <laughs> head? <laughs> and, you know, if they're cool with it, that's that's great. Yeah. So what's the new garden going to be like once you finish renovating? I've got a few palms going in. We've got some uh, great Phoenix Rebellionii, some Trekkie Carpus Fortunii, mm-hmm. a bit of Ceres, a, yes. bit, of, uh, a bit of Peruvian Ceres. Uh-huh. A really interesting sort of combination ground cover that I'm, I'm still kind of working on. I kind of want these uh, almost like emergent bulbs coming up out of a out of a jasmine. So right. just having a bit of fun yeah, right. with that. There's a bit of a roof garden going into, so I've got a, a super gnarly 60-year-old olive that's oh, cool. going up on the roof. We're going to kind of drip out some rosmarinus and, um, nice. and a bit of bee food. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, how do you use your garden? Are you all about the garden bed, or do you have entertaining spaces? Yeah, entertaining spots. Where we've got a uh, like a like a corner block and, and a series of courtyards. That at the moment, my house consists of concrete piers right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> and a giant sand pit. So yes. We're, we're, Not much fun. We've got a bit of work to do, but yeah, right. uh, yeah essentially a series of uh, of rooms that break out off the architecture that you just want to be in, taking advantage of the right uh, sunlight or the right amount of shade. Mm-hmm. And a hell of a lot of plants. A hell of a lot of plants, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure of that. You've worked in a lot of period homes yep. and a lot of really contemporary homes. How do you see the landscape trends, I guess, changing as time moves forward from all, all the way back in those period times to, to now? I guess it's kind of coming back. My favorite kind of thing is, is Victorian garden-esque. You know, what a wonderful period of, of plantings. Mm-hmm. You know, so these European sensibilities and this whole world of exotica that they kind of, you know, you know stumbled into stole or however you want to put it. And 
it just made for, for just really, really beautiful arrangements and possibilities. Things kind of after that got a little bit boring, I think. You know, it, it, the, the gardens toned down a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we kind of go into kind of like the arts and crafts era of like uh, camellias and azaleas and yep. things like that. The gardens sort of got a little bit, little bit neat and tidy. Yep. And uh, if we jump forward to quite a few years, maybe when you and I were kind of growing up and there was a row of iceberg roses. Yes. And there's a little bit of buxus there. And there might have been some red mulch under the iceberg roses. Definitely that, would have been, yes. That was, you know, absolutely fabulous. It was interesting to kind of study then, you know, as we're coming out of that kind of period, you mm-hmm. know, in like the 2000s, to then kind of jump into really fabulous plants again. When we started our business down in Victoria, I think one of the reasons that we actually got the job down there is because we brought a bit of a Larry kind of fun plant choice. I could put a Japanese maple with some ginger, um, a few cycads, and, you know, like a ground cover of plectranthus. Yeah. And we kind of put all this sort of stuff together and, and there's the house next door did a mass ground cover of jasmine, some white silver birch growing up out of it, and that was their garden. Yep. thing was in Melbourne, that was like the, the garden at lots of other places as well. Yeah, a lot of people do that. And interestingly now, competition's actually pretty stiff. Everyone's sort of getting out there and, and, and having fun with plants. They're getting these kind of Larry... Combinations. Victorian fun combinations going, and I saw some stuff the other day, and I went, really, is that going to go well together? And a year later, it, it's... Perfect. Yeah. So do you, when you're thinking of these designs, when are you thinking is the optimum time to be looking at them? Like, are you putting in small plants? Are you putting in the whole thing advanced? How how do you try and put that together? That's a question of budgets. You might have a really great job, but everyone's got a budget. doesn't matter who you are. We're lucky enough that we've we've installed some some really serious things. A record is 15 tons, I think. 15 ton tree that's... That's pretty big. That's close to five stories high. Yeah, that's pretty Uh, big. (laughs) Pretty serious tree. Yeah. We had to shut the Pacific Highway for that one. That was good. What tree was it? Uh, it was a really big uh, ficus helii. Yeah, it was, cool. It was a very exciting one. And another fabulous one where we did a, um, I think it was like a 12-ton Californian redwood. And that was sort of dropped down into a garden. Yeah, wow. Was, yeah, that, that was cool. I bet managing expectations in those jobs would be quite difficult because if you can put in a massive tree like that, but then you can only get Pachysandra in a 140 mil pot and you dot those around and then someone goes, this is amazing, but when's that going to grow in? Yeah. I've spent all this money, what, what's happening? Yeah, well, that's it. So like you, you kind of do some of these big ones, then you do the small ones and we encourage our clients to even buy tube stock perennials. Yeah. You know, perennial, you're going to get you know, a metre and a half's worth of growth in yes. three months. The look on your client's face, I mean, just craning a tree, then you put in like a tube of, <laughs> yeah. not even a tube, not even something you can see, like a root yeah, yeah, of yeah. Uh, Eupatorium. Yeah, yeah, trust me. And he's like, I just paid 50 bucks on all this, what? Yeah, you know, like, these little pockets of dirt. Yeah, pockets of dirt. Yeah, so it's just got to be cool. It's okay. And yeah. you know, we hold them back from digging it up and all of a sudden it's the best thing they've ever seen. Yes. To answer your question, like there's different times, I think in the... In the world of Instagrams and uh, and and impatient interior designers and, mm-hmm. and and people like that, they want it done now. Yep. They they want to get into the next magazine. A couple of years. Yeah. I think you know I, I need the creepers to grow. We we do these beautiful um, tapestry walls where we combine lots of different you know, climbers and species, maybe even sort of six species. Okay. Through an entire wall, so I might do a um, like a Beaumontier that runs up through a jasmine that then bleeds into a Akebia japonica or something like that. And we this ultimate tapestry, think like the old English tapestry hedge. Yes. And then kind of turn that into a subtropical green wall. Yeah. 
you obviously have a lot of fun with your planting and it just shows through the way you speak with the passion yeah. you have. It's really amazing. I could actually talk to you about design for hours and hours, but we've got some community questions. Would you mind hanging around and answering those with us? Sure. So first question is from Judd in Achuca. Now, I feel this would be a good question for you, Miles. Hey, Charlie, I'm trying to open up a pub. I really want to create a beer garden, but I want to make it different to other pubs and really emphasize the garden aspect. If you were to create a beer garden with your own spin on it, what would it be and how would you do it? Mm, beer garden in Achuca, that sounds good. Go with the local. You know, um, you, you should be inspired by your streetscape, be mm-hmm. inspired by, you know, river of gums, be inspired by the materiality of where you are. Some of the, the coolest kind of beer gardens we've ever been in have those vibes. You know, yep. We kind of worked on the, the Beresford and the Bank Hotel and, and these sorts of things, and they were inspired by, by where we were. Right. Second question is from Julia in Canberra can be a difficult climate to grow in. Uh, hey, Charlie, listening to this podcast has gotten me into gardening, which is great, but she's terrible at keeping plants alive. What's the lowest maintenance plant I have around my house? It doesn't get a lot of natural sunlight. Yeah, Jeez, it doesn't uh, sound like you've been into gardening for long, otherwise you'd move. A, a dark garden in Canberra, boiling hot through summer and freezing cold in winter. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. I think the the ultimate thing there would be to go for maybe um, rhizomus plants. Okay. Something that's got like a, a good sort of solid sort of rootstock. That can die back in that winter and then come back. can die back in winter and kind of re-emerge. Right. I think that might be the the way to go there. Yeah. Uh, Canberra is fabulous for their bulb displays. Yes. And you got to kind of think about that early emergence that comes through. Yep. Then either the trees come out or you're going to lose the lose all the sun. But, you know, their daffies and their mm-hmm. jonquils and all that sort of stuff is... And they've got the climate for deciduous as well. Yeah, so go deciduous do. and really enjoy it in autumn. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Final question from Steve in Cairns. G'day, Charlie. My son does not enjoy gardening at all. I'm trying to slowly lean lean him into it as I'd appreciate his help in the back garden. Do you have any activities or plant suggestions to slowly get him into working outside with me? I would say don't worry about it too much. If you, like I go out there and I garden, sometimes the kids get involved, sometimes they don't, but as long as they see me doing it, it kind of puts something into their head. They'll they'll try it at some point. I think so too. And I think like any plant material that gives you kind of instant gratification, something that that flowers or it's tactile or it smells yep. great. You know, something like that is, is a good way to start. Strawberries. Perfect. Always get kids involved. Right. <laughs> lamb's ears. <laughs> lamb's ears are fantastic, yeah. yeah. My kids love the lamb's ears in the, in the garden. So a reminder, you can send through your questions at any time. Simply email me at charlie at still.com.au. Finally, Miles, how can our listeners get in contact with you? They can find us online. They can call the office. Check us out on Insta. <laughs> You've got a few books. You've got They've Instagram, got all books. that stuff. Should write another book. All that. We're, you, we're, you don't have the time for another book. I, I, <laughs> once, I finish the, once I finish the house, I've, I've got to bring it out. I've got 25 years of gardening. It's, it's, to just, show off. it's just about here. And yeah, amazing. I think we need to show it off. Okay, well, there you heard it first. Another book on its way. Miles, thanks so much. Thanks, Ben. On the next episode of That's How We Grow, I'll be joined by my wife, Juliet Love. She's probably going to tell me about all the jobs I haven't completed around the house. Well, I'd like to know why you won't let me have more space in the garden for my herbs and vegetable patches. And she'll probably get me to stop encouraging our boys to make a mess as well. But you'll hear us share some of our ideas for maximising your outdoor space and how to prepare your home when selling. Listener.